we're going to start a sort of a long series in Luke, running now through into the fall of ways. We're going to call it a master class, life lessons from the master. There'll be more about that in the next couple of weeks. It just didn't fit with this text this morning. So if you will turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 12, and we begin reading at the 49th verse. Listen then for the voice of God. Jesus said, I have come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo, and what constraint am I under until it's completed? Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, not peace, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. And he said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain, and it does. And when you see the south wind blows, oceans on the west, by the way, deserts to the south, when you see the south wind blow, you say, it's going to be hot, and it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present age? The word of the Lord. Uh, I was in California all week. It was uh, sunny and 70 with no humidity every minute of the day, every day of the week. Um, and I got back at about 2 o'clock in the morning without our luggage on um, Friday night, so Saturday morning. Um, so this is a little bit of a rewrite uh, yesterday from something that I wrote in 2013. I'm sure you remember it. I'm fairly confident that when the scholars who constructed the revised common lectionary buried this text in the dog days of summer, they put it there because few know what to make of it and fewer want to preach on it. Savvy pastors are on vacation this week. Or they're hoping the congregations they serve are squeezing in one more weekend away before school starts. You don't build big, family-friendly churches with passages like this. As one fine scholar, one fine preacher wrote of Luke's inclusion of these lines, I wish that a gust of wind had scattered all his notes and blown that page away. But, dear friends, this is the text we have. 
This is not Jesus calling children to his knee and welcoming the marginalized to the table. This is Jesus at his harsh, unsettling best. A Jesus who who divides families against one another? What are we to make of that? What can we learn here from the master? What can we hear of the voice of God, even in this? I've come to bring fire on the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. I tell you, not peace, but division. Well, let's start there. Fire is a multivalent biblical image. It represents the presence of God. Think the pillar of fire in Exodus or the tongues of flame in Pentecost. It can also represent eschatological judgment. In John's revelation, Satan and his minions are consumed by fire. And in the Old Testament, the prophets liken God's intention to purify Israel to a refiner's fire purifying silver. You you get the idea. Biblically speaking, fire is a shape-shifting metaphor that can be understood as the presence of God or judgment or some act of purification. And maybe the constant being that wherever there's fire, there's change. Wherever there's fire, there's change. Therefore, when Jesus barks out that he's come to bring fire, he's not talking about kumbaya around the campfire or the heart strangely warmed, as John Wesley wrote in the 1700s, or the burning hearts of the two disciples walking the road to Emmaus. But he's talking about the fire of change. Now there's there's an old black spiritual that includes the line, God gave Noah the rainbow sign, no more water but fire next time. And then in the early 1960s, James Baldwin picked up on that line for his book about race in America entitled The Fire Next Time. There's a fire a-coming that'll bring change. I long for that day. I long for a day when fire will burn away injustice 
and the suffering of innocence and the ravages of addiction and the wages of war and the scourge of cancer. I long for a fire that will put this world to rights. So come, Lord Jesus. Get some kindling. Strike a match. Bring the fire of change. Thy kingdom come. Amen. And that's to say that the division which Jesus, which, of which Jesus speaks is the result of the fire he bears. The kingdom of God he proclaims is set over against the empires of this world. A kingdom not by right or might, but by forgiveness. A kingdom not by fear, be not afraid. A kingdom not by fear, but, but by faith. Not by power, but by humility. A kingdom not by religion or politics. Can I get an amen? But by love and sacrifice and death and resurrection. And therefore, those invested in this present order, in the empires of wealth and power, will resist its coming. Because the coming of the kingdom spells an end to their ordering of things. Hence, Jesus, though coming to establish a rule of peace, brings division even to the most intimate and honored of, the, of relationships, like those among family. Christian denominations of all stripes met in the, meet in the summer to do business. They deal with issues of theology and church order and public policy. They make their plans and at their best moments, they face their failures. There's the meetings of Christian denominations in the summer are not unlike family reunions. There's joy and hope and reconnection and usually division. One part of the family is often bickering or splintering off for one reason or the other like family reunions. Yours are different than that? <laughs> this summer was no different. Lutherans, Methodists, Presbyterians, Episcopalians, Baptists, and Reformed folks all met and all struggled with issues of sexuality and sex abuse. In the wake of the CRC's decision about human sexuality, a prominent pastor posted that now they could begin the work of ridding the denomination of rot. And my guess is that many are praying for the same, that a fire would purify 
burn away the chaff, and the kingdom would come. And so to many, it feels like a family divided against a family. Again, throughout Scripture, fire is used to image judgment and the refinement of impurities and the presence of God. It's employed as an image of the Holy Spirit and for the purging of evil. We'd be well served to be humble and cautious with fire. The flat, far south suburban roads where I ride my bike cut through fields of corn and soybean that are green and growing as far as the eye can see. But in the middle of that rural landscape, somewhere outside of Piatone, there's a volunteer fire station with a sign that gives a number to call if you're planning a controlled burn. If you're going to burn out the weeds in your ditch, clear out the rot, they want to know. If you're going to clear away a field of briars and thistles with fire, they want you to give them warning. I like the idea of a controlled burn. If Jesus is going to kindle the fire of change, I like the idea of setting the parameters. I want just enough fire to burn off the rough edges and singe off some bad habits. I want just enough fire to gather the family round, but not enough to set us against one another. I want the warmth of the fireplace, not a wildfire that burns the house down. I want a firewall that protects. What I don't want to change. I want a controlled burn. That doesn't seem to be the spirit of Jesus' sermon. Jesus proclaims that the fire of the kingdom, that the fire of kingdom change will blaze in such a manner that family priorities will get reshuffled. Now, still with me? Look, I don't think that we can adequately overlap the dynamics of first century Palestinian family life to middle class, middle American families or denominational dynamics. That's no easy parallel. The disruption, persecution, and cost of following Christ for Jews living under Roman occupation is incomprehensibly different than our, our contemporary situation. 
present-day Christians in Afghanistan, North Korea, Somalia, or Libya know something of the cost of the kingdom and the ravages of fire. But most of us want the fire to be contained. We want the fire of revival. We want the fire of inspiration. We want the fire of judgment against injustice. But we don't want to get burned. <laughs> Lately I've been reading frivolous legal thrillers that dance around the edges of race, injustice, and corruption, but they mostly just keep you turning the pages. However, one line early in one novel stuck with me. A, crud a crusading idealist says, I've learned that most people don't want change, even when it's in their best interest. We pay lip service to ideals, but we live with expediency and by tribal prejudice. Accepting this hypocrisy has nearly broken me. We live with expediency and by tribal prejudice. I think he's right. Perhaps we've sought the comfort and convenience of expediency and tribal prejudice rather than the desires of God's heart. Perhaps we've stressed one aspect of Jesus' message at the exclusion of others. Perhaps we've stressed peace and not disruption. Perhaps we see Jesus as a way to security and blessing, but we fail to see Jesus reshuffling priorities and demanding a costly obedience. So dear friends, is it possible that fire would come and change us? Is it possible that the Holy Spirit would seep through scripture and sacrament and change us enough so that we don't fit the patterns of the world? Is there the possibility that even here, even now, even at Hope Church, God would light a new fire for justice, for renewal, for mercy, for peace, for a change to the status quo. Our, our expediency and tribal prejudices, prejudices enough? Or would God burn something new? I'm reminded that in AA, friend, when I talked with a friend about this, um, he said, 
Um, sobriety is linked not to controlling the blaze, but to acknowledging powerlessness and inviting or allowing the fire to blaze wherever it will. Therefore, I think part of a robust, faithful Christian life is being open to the movement of the Spirit. Our confessional confidence is that the Holy Spirit is alive in us and among us, comforting, challenging, interpreting Scripture, and pointing us towards Jesus Christ. Let's not control that burn. Barbara Brown Taylor puts it this way. There's some fine teaching about the Holy Spirit. And I hope none of you are satisfied with it. I hope none of you rests until you have felt the Holy Spirit blow through your own life, rearranging things, opening things up, and maybe setting your head on fire. There's nothing you can do to make it happen, so far as I know, except to pray. Come, Holy Spirit, every chance you get. If you don't want anything to change in your life, then for heaven's sake, don't pray that. But if you're the type of person who likes to stand out on the porch when there's a storm moving through so that you can feel the power that's pushing the trees around, then you're probably a good candidate for the Holy Spirit prayer. Well, dear friends, may that be our prayer. Come, Holy Spirit. Come as fire to change us. Come to burn away injustice. Come to burn away all that is counter to the kingdom. Come to shape us, lead us, guide us, and make us more Christ-like. Even here, even now. Amen.